Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Doug Holcomb. Hey, thank you. So if you're a guest and it's your first time here, that's how you should always respond when anybody introduces themselves as Doug Holcomb. No, so the reason, if you're a guest, you don't know that, I feel like a guest today too. I've been gone for the last six weeks. I was on sabbatical, and sabbatical means just to pause. I got to step away from, from ministry here, and just my goal for six weeks, as I was instructed, was to do nothing. Uh, that's harder to do than you think. Like, it took me a while just to figure out, what do I do with my hands? And, and I, I used to, I'm used to checking boxes and objectives and strategy, and so that was really kind of challenging. And then it got, I, was, I could get used to this. This is all right. I watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of hockey. I'm a hockey fan. I think I've watched every second of the playoffs, and there's always been something on, and I did that. I went and saw a playoff game and, uh, uh, for one of the teams, and I, I went and saw my favorite band, U2, in concert, and read a lot of books, watched a lot of movies, but really... What I'd hoped is you would see a lot of pictures of me with my feet up on a beach and just kind of take it in the sun, like this is my view. And, but really, this was my view. I lived out in the prairie dogs, with the prairie dogs in the mesquite bushes. That's really all I could afford. And so uh, that's where I lived. And I actually started a Twitter account, Sabbatical Doug, to kind of give me something to do where I talked about my life with the prairie dogs. And I could keep an eye on things, but I wasn't in there. The Wi-Fi was a little spotty, but I could see how things were going. And, and I just hung out with prairie dogs for six weeks. And so it was, it was really fun. Uh, I am very thankful to the elders who gave me that gift uh, to, to do that. Um, thank you so much for that and the board and also for the staff and others who had to kind of pitch in and, and take up some slack and uh, thankful for my wife who is like, who works out of the house is like, yeah, you're going back to the office. That's great. So uh, anyway, I'm very grateful for that, but I'm really glad to be back. And somebody asked what it was like kind of coming back. I started earlier this week, and it was, someone said, does it feel like getting on a moving train? I was like, yes, that's almost exactly what it feels like. Everything's still moving, and i got to figure out how to get on the train and acclimate. But I like this train, and I want to be on it. So I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited for this summer. We're doing this series called on Ephesians, and we're calling it Ephesians. <laughs> Real catchy. And so my, my creativity may have gone down a little bit over the sabbatical. We're calling it Ephesians, but here's, what, here's the, sub, the, the tagline. It's a dig in and mark it up series. And here's what we mean by that. This letter that was written to a church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, we think has something very valuable in it for each of us. That there's a reason that God forwarded this on to us in the New Testament. And, it, and it's valuable. And it's got valuable things in it that you might miss. So we want to encourage you to do is dig in and mark it up. Dig in, like dig deep. Don't just read over something and go, well, that's nice, and keep moving. Like keep looking and keep looking until you see all that there is to see and figure out what God may have for you in that and mark it up. Don't be afraid. And I encourage you actually to have like, an, like a digital Bible is great on a phone or, or a, uh, an iPad. I use one on my phone every day. But there's something about the analog of having the thing in your hand where you can actually mark it up. And we're not talking about like Mark Porter, the executive pastor, mark it up. Like we're not talking about that. We mean like get a pen and, and underline something that means something. You write something in the margin that stood out to you. Uh, mark it up literally. And, and for some of us, I think, here's why I'm excited about this series. We want you to dig in and mark it up because there's something valuable in here for you. People have argued that Ephesians may be one of the top three most theologically like faith-informing books of the Bible, right up with Romans and the Gospel of John. It's just such a great book with so much stuff about who you are in Christ, but
but it starts, and it's almost like you're eavesdropping on the Apostle Paul as he prays and he worships who God is. It helps us know God better, and then knowing who we are in Christ, and the first half is like, know what you believe, and the second half is like, live out what you believe. It tells you how to have an everyday faith. And when I was in college, there was a man named Ron Cheadle that got me and about five other college guys together, and we studied through Ephesians together, and then another book after that. And I remember, and I even pulled out my old Bible from college, and I looked at the notes I made in it where I marked it up. And I thought, wow, that truth that for the first time stood out to me in that Bible study with him, which really all he did is like, let's read it, and let's talk about what does it say, what does it mean, and what do we do? That was it, and we talked about it. And I remember highlighting something, and something in next week's message I'll talk about. When I understood my identity in Christ with this imagery that he brought out, I was like, that has stayed with me forever. It changed the trajectory of my life. And we want you to dig in because we think there's something valuable buried in here. And if you knew something valuable was buried in your garage or buried in the attic or buried in your front yard, if all of a sudden you knew that there was something like lots of zeros behind it valuable, you would dig in until you found it. If you have a belief that God has something valuable to say to you and it might be require you to dig a little, wouldn't you want to dig? Well, here's the other problem why I'm excited about this series. A lot of times, we want to do that. We just don't know how. Some of us may have experiences where we tried. We opened the Bible. I know I'm supposed to. I want to do that. I read it. I go, I just don't know what to do with it, or I don't understand it, or I don't know where to start. A guy named Dallas Willard said a, comment, a quote that I heard several months ago. I thought, that, that's a great point, and I want that for Live Oak. He said, I'm looking for the church that won't just put a priority on teaching God's word, but puts a priority on training people each week in the Sunday service to train people to read God's word, the Bible, on their own. And for many of us, we were never taught how. And we feel guilty because we don't know how. We want to train, so we're going to give a little bit of part of every week's message to training you practical how-to to to study the Bible on your own. In fact, the phrase I want to give you this week that's just a practical training of how you can dig in this and mark it up is to ask this question about context. Here's the question, or here's the statement. Be curious about the context. And by context, we mean, you've, ever, you've heard the phrase probably where someone says, well, I said something, but they took it out of context. Or that guy said something, but they took it out of context. It's taking one little snippet of a conversation and holding it up out of the reality of when it was said. Now, sometimes we do that with a Bible verse. We'll read a verse and go, boy, that's a really meaningful Bible verse, but we don't pay attention to what's happening before or after in that passage. That's one way you you can not think about the context. Yeah, be curious about the context. If your favorite verse is is Jeremiah uh, 29, 11, like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Boy, look at the context of who Jeremiah was talking to and what's going on there. There's something significant going on, but it's great that you have that as a verse. Or Philippians 4, uh, verse, verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. That's great. Think about the context of what's going on overall. Where was Paul writing from? He's writing from prison. What else did he say in that passage that's important? Because sometimes we get one part of what God's saying is helpful in our lives, but we miss the other things that he's saying that these matter too. But really when I'm talking about context, I'm not talking about a verse and making sure you're not taking it out of context. I'm talking about like you can have a zoom in approach where you're really close on something or kind of a zoom out where it's a bird's eye view. Try to have a bird's eye view of what's going on in the big picture of things. Be curious about Why did God want this included in the Bible? Why did this get forwarded onto you? Let's take Ephesians, for example. Why in the world would you do this? And what you do is you'd ask questions like this, very simple ones. Who, what, 
when, where, and why? The who question. Who wrote it? Who was he writing to? Who is this for? Was this something that was just for them or was it for me too? What was, what's going on? What's happening around this? What were the circumstances? Uh, when? When was this written? Now, like for all of us, like we think about it, okay, it was written in either 60 AD or 63 AD. That doesn't seem to make a lot of a difference, does it? It was a long time ago. It's not like, was that Tuesday or Wednesday? That's a little different in understanding when. Did I take my medicine today or did I take it yesterday? Well, that, that's a little bit different of a, of a win. But if it's like three years, 2,000 years ago, does it make a difference? Well, sometimes it does because all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, during this time, Paul was in prison. Or at this time, this guy was the emperor and this is what was going on in the Roman Empire. Suddenly we understand the context of the whole scene of what's going on. It might shed new light on a statement when he says, submit to those in authority and you understand that Nero was the emperor and what kind of emperor he was like, suddenly I don't feel like I should complain as much about whatever, whoever leader is at my work or my school or whatever. Like context, the, the when can matter. The where, this is to Ephesians. It's a city called Ephesus. That where might matter. Sometimes there might be a, a city in the Bible that doesn't matter a lot. But sometimes, and I think in Ephesians, the case is it really does. There's a lot you can understand about the book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians, when you understand the where question. And then the why. Like, why was Paul writing this? What's the purpose? What type of literature is it? Paul's are letters written to a church to inform them how, how, what to believe and how to live that out. But if you go like, to an Old Testament book like Proverbs, well, it's different. That's wisdom literature. Or Psalms, it's poetry. There's, there's something different to understanding what you're reading when you understand the big picture context of asking who, what, where, when, and why. Well, let's look at Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, for example. So here, here's Ephesians 1, and so Paul writes this letter, and so we can ask those questions. Who's writing it? Who's he writing it to? And that kind of thing. And he gives us a lot of information here, but we might tend to read this and kind of go, well, that's kind of generic. All right, let's, let's see what else he's got. But don't go too fast. Ask, be curious about the context. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul writes those things, we get a lot of answers to the question. We know kind of the who question. It's Paul, the apostle Paul, the one you would read about other places in scripture in Acts. It tells us how he came to know Jesus and follow him. We know that he wrote a large number of our New Testament. But if you ask the question, did Paul write this? There are a lot of, there are several, I would even say a lot of people that ask questions like, did he really write this? They're not sure Paul wrote this. I'm pretty sure, and I, I can tell you why. But one thing, it's not a different Paul. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. An apostle, that gives us, tells us a little bit more about who he is. An apostle means someone who's set apart, who's sent as an advocate, as a messenger, with authority from the one who's the ultimate authority. The original 12 disciples became apostles. The disciples, a learner, apostle is one who has authority. One of the disciples didn't make the jump from disciple to apostle, Judas. They replaced him. Then some other guys got in the mix as, as apostles. One of them, a guy named Barnabas, who would end up kind of taking Paul under his wing and mentoring him until Paul was out on his own. And then Paul had tremendous influence, obviously. But Paul is this apostle, and it says that's who he is. And Paul starts a lot of his letters this way. He's an apostle, so he's got one with authority, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. That's another way of saying, it wasn't my plan, it was God's plan. What Paul is saying 
if this was really was him writing it, and I believe it was, what he's saying is, I'm an apostle, so what I'm saying next isn't just from me. I'm sent by somebody to tell you this. And also, this is by the will of God. It wasn't my plans, but when I encountered Jesus, my life plans and trajectory of my life changed. And you read about it in Acts, that the book of Acts, Luke tells us that Paul was trying to stop the movement of the Christ followers. It was called the way at that point. He was trying to stop the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. He was persecuting. He was putting to death. He was arresting people who said they were followers of Jesus. He was against it until one day Jesus showed up and said, hey, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then he realized God had a plan for his life, and Jesus was for real, and he followed him. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be the one I use to go to all this part of the world. You have a part in not just stopping this movement, but making this movement happen. And so Paul says, it wasn't my plan, it was God's plan. His trajectory of his life changed. And here's the thing I believe. I don't believe everyone who meets Jesus will be an apostle like Paul was. I don't. But I think everyone who meets Jesus experiences some kind of trajectory change of their life when you encounter the living Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus who's come to experience him in a personal way, something in your life will change. Otherwise, I would ask, did you really experience Jesus? Because he's someone who transforms and redeems and makes new and redirects, and he has plans for our life that sometimes are different than our plans, and for some of us, that scares us. But Paul said, it was by the will of God that I became an apostle. And he tells us later in Ephesians chapter 4 that all of us have a part to play in what God's doing in the world, but not all of us are an apostle. Some of us, we serve, or we teach, or we lead, or we do different things but we all have a part to play. And he says, mine is to be an apostle by God's plans. The question we should ask is, what has God called me to do? What is God's plan for my life? And what I love about the, the book of Ephesians as we study it, and especially starting in the next uh, week, in the next verses, he says, if you want to know what God has planned for your life, if you want to know God's will for you, understand who you are in Christ, your identity. And sometimes our identity is wrapped up in what we do for a living or how we spend our time or our family or our, our, our hobbies or something like that. But when your identity is in Christ, suddenly it can transform how you view all those places where you live your life. So what has God called you to be and what has God called you to do? And when you experience Jesus, initially and ongoing, when you, when you submit to him as your leader, and your Lord and Savior, does it ever change the trajectory of your life? Because I think if you're listening, at some point, he's going to say, hey, change of plans. For Paul, it was dramatic. It may not be dramatic for you, but it always involves a change. And it also involves saying, there's a God and it's not me, so I'm going to give this over to him. And Paul tells us that he's writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So the, where, the who question, who is he writing to, and also is the where question, where is this? That, that's a great question to ask if you want to know the big picture context. Paul's writing this people in Ephesus. You know, if he was writing to people in Lubbock, he'd be writing to Lubbockites, Lubbockonians, Hubsters. What are we called? Who says Lubbockites? Who says Lubbockonians? Who says something different? What do you say? Hubsters? Did, did you just start that just because I said it now? Yeah, okay. So I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to put that in your head. Uh, does somebody say, does anybody just not say anything? I'm from Lubbock. That's... That's all I need to say. Anyway, yeah, yeah, okay. So, so to, the, to the Ephesians, that's for people that were from Ephesus. Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. 
people who've been there, and I actually talked to someone in the first service who's been there to the, to the ruins in Ephesus. They said, at the time, it was like New York City is now is what Ephesus was in that part of the world. It was busy. It was active. It was a port city. There was lots of commerce. There was lots of trade. There was lots of uh, exciting things happening. Aside from Rome, it might have been the most important city in, in the Mediterranean. Very important. Maybe only other competitor might be Greece, but I mean Athens, but, but Ephesus was a huge deal. So Paul's writing to that city, so we know it was an important city. We know that. As a matter of fact, here it is on a map, just to kind of give you context. Now, the thing about my Bible has maps in the back. I have never been lost and go, now, okay, I got to figure out, how did I end up in Tohoka? I was trying to get to Ephesus. Like, I've never used my maps for modern-day navigation. That's not their purpose. Even if you're there, I don't think that would be the purpose. If you were, say, near Ephesus. Here's why it's there. Here's why I think it's there. It helps us understand the context. Where was this happening? And it reminds us, these were real places. And when Paul said he traveled from Jerusalem to Rome, well, Rome is up in the top left corner in, in um, purple, and Jerusalem is in the bottom right corner in purple. To get from here to there, even in modern day, it'll take you a while. But in those days, if you're walking, riding, or going by boat, it's going to take you a while. That was not an easy journey. So it helps you understand some of the context. But what I love is it reminds you, these are real places. This isn't Narnia. It's not Tatooine. These are real places. And Paul was writing to real people in a real place. And if you were to go there today, there's archaeological ruins that would show you what kind of city Ephesus was. We'll look at one in just a minute. And so one of the questions you go, okay, it's a real place. That's where it is. Where else does it show up on the map? Well, in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul showed up there for the first time. And he, he went and he talked about Jesus. And some people believed. A lot of people didn't. And the ones who did said, would you teach us more? Would you come back and talk to us through again? You know what his reply was? They said, and you'd think this would be an obvious answer. They go, we want to know more. Would you tell us more and come back and see us again? You know what he said? Maybe. I mean, a lot of places he went to, he got beat up. People were against him, and that happened there too. But there were people who were like, please tell us more. Will you come back? He's like, if it's the Lord's will, I will. But there's this great thing about Paul. His life became defined by what is God's plan for me? It wasn't defined of like, what do you think? I should do. Like for some of you, like you've come to me and said, hey, I'm thinking about moving. No, no, there's two things you need to know. Doug, God loves you and Doug has a wonderful plan for your life. Don't move. Like stay here. Like it doesn't matter what I think God's will is for life. It matters what, what God tells you. His plan is for your life and you, are, you can know God's plan. And Paul said, I'm not coming back here unless God tells me to. Otherwise, I'd love to. Well, it was God's plan for his life. He came back. He lived there for three years. For three years, he's teaching and he's influencing people and he's helping people and people are responding and the church is growing and growing and growing so much so that it affects the profit and loss statements of local businesses see ephesus was the kind of town center it was the capital of the world this town was known for its worship of artemis who was this god or goddess there was a different version of it where this meteor at some point had fallen from the sky and they go wow look a rock fell from the sky we should worship it and so they made it this goddess uh, or God, Artemis, and they worshiped it. And then they realized, hey, there's some money to be made in this. What if we, all these people coming to worship, what, let's build a temple, now let's build a gift shop. And let's sell little replicas of this God. So, hey, if you love God, you can take them home with you for just $19.95. And suddenly it's like they're getting all this tourist trade coming through and they're making these little silver replicas of this meteor-looking thing and this statue of this person that had certain anatomy things. And it was like, man, this was their God. 
Now, if your God can be bought in a gift shop and says some assembly required, you may not want to worship that. It may not be good, but there was big business there. So much so that when people started saying, Jesus is the living God, not a rock that fell from the sky. I'm following Jesus. And they stopped following Artemis and stopped purchasing things. This guy named Demetrius in Acts chapter 19, he gets up and says, hey, fellow silversmiths and artisans and gift shop owners abroad in our city, this guy, Paul, is ruining our business and he's kind of bad-mouthing our God. And we really, that's what really bothers us. But also, we're losing money. This is not good for our city. Let's get him. And he starts working the crowd. And he gets them all worked up into uproar. In Acts 19, it's one of my favorite chapters. Like the crowd gets so worked up that everyone kind of rushes into this big theater in town that seats 25,000 people, not like a movie theater. Here it is. This is uh, the ruins of uh, the theater in Ephesus which was built about the same time as the Colosseum over by Tech, Municipal Coliseum. And, and so it, it's, it's over there, and just for scale, there's a little person photobombing at the bottom where the stage is, and, and when, like 25,000 people could fit in there. And if you stood in the top and spoke, you could hear it down below and vice versa. Actually, I think it's the other way around. You could speak. The acoustics were amazing. The technology, when there wasn't really electronic technology, was unbelievable in this city. Huge library, huge racetrack. This thing was going on. I think they had a Starbucks. Like, it was amazing. I wait, wait, way ahead of its time. And so all these people rush in there, and they're mad, and they want to kill Paul and his friends. They want to kill him. Some of the people, it says, they run in the theater. They're not even sure why they're mad. But they go, yeah, I don't know what we're yelling about. Like, they're so mad. And they're all worked up into a crowd that they, don't even, they can't even, they just want to kill him. And then Luke tells us that Paul is standing kind of behind those columns at a little tunnel where you walk out onto the stage and his friends are having to hold him back because he wants to go out. Picture like an athlete ready to walk out on the ice or the, whatever you walk on in your sport, like on the turf or the floor. Like you're wanting to go out on the, on, and you're ready to compete. You're wanting to go, but they're just holding you back, but you're ready to go. Paul says, I want to go out and face the crowd, a crowd that wanted to kill him. Not because he wanted to fight them. He wanted to fight for them. He said, I've got something in my life that I want for you. I want, you know, the Jesus, the living God. You worship a rock. It's never been alive. Jesus was dead and now he's alive and I was against him and now I'm for him. He changed me. He changed the trajectory, the plan of my life. And I would die for this. And his friends wouldn't let him go out. They kept him back. Whatever Paul had in him is what he writes about in Ephesians. Like, this is what I would fight for. This is what I would die for. This is what I want for you. This is the kind of faith I want for you. A crowd of 25,000 ready to rip him to shreds. And he's like, I'll go. What happens next is someone comes in and kind of works order, and Paul gets taken away, and he travels on. He was there for three years total. Eventually, uh, in Acts 20, it tells us that he was moving on his travel plans, and I think he knew his time was in. He would be executed by the emperor Nero eventually, and I think he knew his time was coming to an end. So he sent for the elders of the Ephesians church, which he built over three years. He asked for them to come meet him. And in Acts 20, it tells them that, you know, they said, you've been here for three years. You mean the world to us. They're crying. They're praying for him. They realize this is the, probably the last time we're going to see each other. Ephesus was almost like home to him. He loved that city. He would die for that city. 
these people he would never see again, um, it brought him to tears. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's, he tells us that he actually fought with the wild animals. And he's not talking about that riot. He's talking about there's another place in town where it's like the gladiators where they throw people to the lions, that kind of thing. He actually, that happened to him in, in Ephesus. Another time he tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 8, hey, I've got travel plans. I'm going to, to Ephesus. Like he loved that city. So much so his, his, his protege, the guy he was discipling and mentoring, Timothy, he sent him there to be a pastor. And we can read about Ephesus. It shows up in those verses. It means a lot because in, the, in, the, in Revelation, Jesus gives this revelation to John of these seven churches that he has a message for. And the first one mentioned is the church in Ephesus. It was important, and Paul was right in the middle of it. And then, of course, Ephesus shows up in Ephesians 1.1, right? Or the verse we just saw, go back to that. That's got to be one of its contexts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, right? Or does it say that? Because if you have a Bible, what does it have right next to that? Mine has a little footmark. Mine's a little A, a little note, or a little asterisk. Does yours, anyone have anything like that next to theirs? Because what it'll tell you is in early manuscripts, it doesn't say in Ephesus. It just says to God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And again, some people go, I'm not sure if this was to the Ephesians. I'm not sure if it's from Paul. They have all these questions. And it raises the question, okay, is this really to them? And the answer is yes, it was, but it was written as a circular letter that they would read it and they'd pass it to the church in Laodicea, they'd pass it to the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi, they would send it around because it was such an important letter that God wanted to help people establish their faith. But it helps us understand another thing. If Paul did write this, why in the world is this letter, and this is, if you're curious about the context and you're reading this, Paul never really mentions people by name. He doesn't have these personal references. It's not like written like, he doesn't say, hey, tell Uncle Larry, I said hi. Remember that time? Oh, that was so fun. Hey, I know this is going on. Make sure you do this. It's a very, uh, I don't want to say generic, but it's a very broad statement without personal statements. And so what it helps us understand, if Paul didn't write, really wrote this, why wouldn't he be personal with people he was willing to go fight 25,000 people for, a place where he cried when he met the leaders? Why wouldn't he be more personal? Because it wasn't just for them. It was forward around to these other people. So yeah, Paul wrote this, and it was to the church in Ephesus, but I love the integrity of Scripture. It says, hey, there are some earlier manuscripts where it doesn't say it, but some that it does. Why is that? Because it was written to them, but not for just them. It was intended specifically to be sent around with a purpose. Be curious about the context, because sometimes it helps you understand the letter. Sometimes it helps you understand you really can trust. This is from Paul to Ephesus, but also to the hubsters. It's to us. got forwarded on to us. To God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The word your version might say to the saints in Ephesus. Or it might just say to the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. You need to understand when Paul is writing to the saints, it's to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and put their life in his hands. When you do that, your identity in Christ is you are a saint. Saint Doug. Saint Shane. Saint Merrill. Saint Laura. I mean, we're saints if we're in Christ. Because that means we are set apart for God's holy purpose. It's not about what we've done, it's about what God has done for us. And that's who you are. You are a saint. You are holy. You are set apart. You have an identity. You have a seat at the table of the family of God. And he has a plan for your life. But is this just Paul? Like, he didn't spend three years with Jesus. Can we trust him? I mean, Peter was there. John was there. Hey, they were one of the original 12. Can we really trust Paul? Well, Peter, who was one of the original 12, has this to say about Paul's writings. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that who gave him? God gave him. 
Paul's not giving you his hot sports opinion on what Jesus thinks. He's telling you this is what God wants you to know, and I'm a messenger, an advocate, an apostle. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of them in these matters. His letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand. That's why we want to help equip you to understand, not just read it, and, but really dig in, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Talking about false teachers who are taking stuff and teaching weird things. That still happens today. And it could happen here. It could, I, could, I could distort it. I need to make sure I'm doing my homework too. So check my math. That's why I want you to understand Scripture as well. As they do other, what's the word? Scriptures. What Paul wrote was considered Scripture. Early in that uh, book, Peter wrote this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy or Scripture came about from the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, here's this important phrase, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you're asking the who question about Ephesians, who wrote it? Did Paul write it? Some people say, I'm not so sure. I'm convinced he wrote it. But at the same time, I think they're right. Paul didn't write it. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave us Ephesians. Paul was the pen. Paul was the mouthpiece. Paul was the one carried along by the Holy Spirit. And anybody can claim, hey, I've got a message from God. And I always immediately kind of go, do you? I don't know. Like this went through a lot of checks. Like, do they really believe this? Peter, who's with Jesus, said, Paul is speaking from God. He's, God's using him. He was uniquely positioned and purposed to be used by the Holy Spirit to give us what we have today in Ephesians and a lot of their other New Testament books. Here's another verse that kind of speaks to that concept. 2 Timothy 3, Paul's writing to his protege, who's the pastor in Ephesus, Timothy. All scripture, and here's the phrase, God breathed. Another way to think about that is inspired. Not inspired like, what a beautiful sunset. I think I'll write a song. Not that kind of inspired. Inspired like God breathed. God is the one pushing this along. It's God breathed and also it's useful. For some of us, we don't believe God's word is useful. If we really believed it was valuable, something good is buried in here and it's useful. Today, it could be useful to my life. We wouldn't miss a day or an opportunity to miss digging in and understanding all we can. But sometimes we don't think it's useful, so we don't really give it attention. Well, what's it useful for? And he gives us five things, five unique tools it's useful for. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, if your desire is to love God and love people, to serve God, he wants to help you be thoroughly equipped for every good work, every good contribution you can make to the world in whatever your role is. Teaching is doctrine. It's what you believe. It's the truth. It's living correctly. It's not just belief, but it's also belief that informs behavior, how you live an everyday faith. Rebuking, none of us like that. None of us like hearing that we're wrong. But if you're wrong and you're going the wrong way on the wrong side of the highway, it could cause a lot of problems for you and others. We want someone to tell you you're going the wrong way. Like rebuking plays a role in what Jesus tells us often through his Holy Spirit and through his Holy Scripture is you're going the wrong way. Change course. Rebuking is about the way we think. It's where we're out of bounds. It's what the Bible calls sin. It also corrects. It doesn't just say you're wrong, good luck. It says here's correction. It's the right way to do things. It helps straighten out errors. It changes our path. It lets us know we're wrong and the right way to do it. Training in righteousness, it's instruction about how to live a God-honoring life. 
and, and, and living in God's plan and thought and purpose and action and then equipping so that I can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In fact, today in your, in your program, there's a handout. It looks exactly like this because we have a Xerox machine. And so uh, on it, it's got this verse. All scripture is God breathed. He's the source. It's useful for these five things. Those five tools are actually could be a question that anytime you read a passage anywhere in the Bible, you could ask these five questions to dig in and dig out something valuable God may have for you in understanding who he is and what his plan is for your life. For instance, that word teaching, the first question is this, what is the basic truth God wants me to know? So tomorrow on the reading plan, which you can find on the Live Oak app under reading plan or on the website under engaging scripture or just look for the Bible reading plan uh, graphic that goes by, click on it. Tomorrow you're reading Ephesians chapter one. As you read Ephesians chapter one, Ask this question, what's the basic truth God wants me to know in this piece of scripture, in this passage? It's also good for rebuking. We don't always like it, but we need it. What error in judgment, understanding, or behavior might this passage be rebuking in my life? Where might there be a penalty on the play of my life, a foul, where God says, that's wrong? Fortunately, God doesn't just say, you're wrong. He shows us what's right, and he can redeem. And what he does next is he corrects. How might this passage correct, balance, or direct me? How might what I'm reading now correct my, my path, correct my speech, correct my thought life? How could it bring balance to my life? Man, I'm way over here, but I need this in my life. Or how could it direct me in the right direction? And then training in righteousness. Ask this question. What does this passage present to prepare me for living a God-honoring life or facing some future challenge? And here's one thing you need to keep in mind. If you want to talk about context of life, we can think about the past and the present. We can guesstimate about the future. We think we know what's going to happen. We have plans for the future. Ultimately, God knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future. We want his perspective on our lives. And sometimes you'll be reading a passage and you go, why in the world do I feel like this is important to me right now? Like the Holy Spirit is tapping on the shoulder saying, pay attention to this. But I'm not dealing with this. It's not my issue right now. I want to talk to him about what's going on right now. But God says, but I want to talk to you about what's coming next so you'll be ready, you'll be trained and prepared to live a God-honoring life in the midst of a change that you don't know is coming, but I do. Pay attention to what's going on and ask this question, but also ask, God, is there something you know that I don't that you want to prepare me for? And then the fifth thing, equipped for every good work, ask this question. How might this passage, what I'm reading tomorrow, Ephesians 1, how might this passage equip me for serving God and serving people. And if you ask those five questions, suddenly it helps you start digging in and digging out something that might be very valuable to your life. The reason I hope that you think God's word is valuable to your life, and the reason I hope you think that following Jesus and his plan for your life and the person of Jesus is valuable, the reason I hope you think that is because he thinks you're valuable. He thinks you're worth dying for. And if the God of the universe is willing to die on the cross for you, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who created you, if he thinks you're valuable, I bet his plans for you are valuable as well. Plans that, better plans than you can make for yourself. So as we dig in and mark it up in Ephesians this summer, I believe what you're going to discover is who you are in Christ. You're going to know Jesus better, and you're going to understand what God's plan is for you specifically, but also us collectively, how we live that out as a faith community. And I want that for you. Not the kind of way Paul did where I'm willing to face a crowd of 25,000 who want to rip me to shreds. Like, I, I care about you, but not that much, maybe. But I, I want that for you. But Paul did. 
I honestly don't think I'll ever face in a scenario in my life where there's 25,000 people that want to rip me to shreds. But Paul faced that. And he's like, man, I'm in. I'll do anything. But he still had this ultimate guiding trigger on his life that he said, I won't flip the safety off. I won't pull the trigger. I won't say yes. I won't put it in gear until God says go. I pray that we all have that understanding that God can be trusted no matter what, and I'm only going to do what he wants me to do because there's no better way to live. It's the only way to live and the only way to die. And all this last spring, we always have a reading plan, and right now we're doing back kind of a chapter a day. This week it's going to be Ephesians. You're going to engage it, use those tools. But in the spring, we did a share your verse. Our reading plan was based on verses that many of you share with us, like this is a verse that matters to me, and you shared that with us. We shared it through the reading plan. What I want to ask you to do, we want to create a culture of sharing, our, sharing your verse. That tomorrow when you're reading Ephesians chapter 1, or if you're reading elsewhere, and all of a sudden there's a verse that God says, hey, this is something important. I want you to think about this verse deeply. What I'd like to ask you to do is share it. Share your verse. Share it by telling somebody about it. Share it by reading it to your family. Share it by, by uh, texting it to somebody. Or share it by sending an email to somebody or writing a letter to somebody. Share it by putting it on social media. But share your verse. What we would love to do is develop a culture that when something jumps out to us out of this, that we share it with others because it's not just for us. It's supposed to be forwarded on. And aren't you glad that the Ephesus church and the Apostle Paul had that letter forwarded on to us because there's such valuable things in there that will inform your faith and identity that could help you understand God's plan for your life. And what Paul wanted for you in Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, this is what he said for the church in Ephesus, and he wants it for us too. Grace and peace. God wants you to experience the grace of God directly from Jesus, and he wants you to experience the peace of God that can only come from God. That's what he wants for you. And as you engage Ephesians, God will engage you, and this is what he wants to bring into your life uniquely through the person of Jesus. Let's stand for closing prayer. I do encourage you to, to get the reading plan. Tomorrow it's Ephesians 1, Tuesday it's Ephesians 2, Wednesday it's Ephesians 3. You get the idea. There's a reading plan on the app or website. And let's engage it and let's share our verse. And let's dig in this summer. Lord, thanks that you forwarded this on to us. Thanks that you forwarded the opportunity of responding to your grace found only through Jesus. That we can experience forgiveness and redemption and grace. And God, even thanks for the times where you rebuke or correct us. Those are hard for us. We resist that. Help us to develop such a deep love for you and a trust in you that no matter what, we would say yes. Thanks that Paul was willing to die for his faith, and ultimately he did because he knew it mattered. What he wanted for us was what he'd experienced from you personally. Give us a burden for our friends who don't know you that we might pass on what you've given to us. And I know that starts with us experiencing you in such a deep and personal way that we think, how could I keep sharing this? Thanks that when we read the scripture this week and any day, you are with us, so we ask you to be our teacher as we dig in and mark it up and try to understand all that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.